going on guys welcome to another episode of talking on my ass podcast if you guys are listening on spotify or apple Podcasts and enjoying the show please do me a favor write a review give me a five-star rating to help grow the show if you are watching on youtube please subscribe like comment and share the episode with your friends and family or on your social media platforms my guest today is a world-class professional combat sports coach. Her coaching has succeeded at the highest level of men's wrestling, both in the U.S. and internationally, and she has been the chief corner in the UFC, Bellator, and Invicta. She is considered the missing component of success in wrestling and combat sports. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Carolyn Wester. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I have one of the best coaches in the <laughs> world. <laughs> Coach, how are you? Yeah, yeah, I'm really well. We're excited to be out here in California. You know, things are great. We have some amateur fighters with us this week and some athletes from Utah, New York, Virginia, California, Nevada yeah. here to compete in a tournament that's at Gilroy High School this weekend. How is that? You're traveling all over the place. Does yes. that? I always hear this thing where it's like this time gap or a... Uh, you know, with a jet lag. Do you kind of get that sometimes? Well, I do get some jet lag, but I'm yeah. really used to traveling. Oh, okay. So it's a process. If you're dedicated prior to packing correctly mm -hmm. and getting all your nutrition correctly, yeah. and then you're committed when you get where you're going to set up your environment correctly, yeah. and you, you're on a roll, everything's laid out and then you can handle it pretty easily yeah i remember you reached out to me to come on the podcast and then i reached out to you back like right away because i was like oh my god i it's 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 an honor for me personally because i know you are so busy you are a very high level coach and for you just to take your time out of your day to do be able to do this like it's it's an honor for me well, truly you know let's 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 be a little more realistic daniel you know i've watched your career for a very long time <laughs> Right, I went to AKA in 2011, and I've seen your dedication, your growth, how hard you work, yeah. your ability to adjust, to come back. Not like come back like you were down, but just move forward. Yeah. A lot of people have it in their mind, they're gonna be a fighter or they're gonna be an athlete, and they self-conceive of what they can do, and they're not open yes. to going any further, and yeah. you always have been. Yeah, and that's the thing, like I, and luckily fighting gave me that, where it's like, oh, whatever whatever I learned into fighting, it's like put that hard work into anything else and you will be fine. Yes, it, absolutely. And I try to explain that to all, all athletes of yes. any kind. Yeah. And mm. I think also too about you, in which I think is a gap for most fighters, is they, when people become the training, but they begin training, whether they think they're going to be an amateur or pro, they want to go in the room most days and just do what makes them feel good about mm. themselves. So it's a lot of repetitive um, movement or repetitive practice that they've gotten positive influence before instead yes. of putting themselves in the most difficult situation. Yeah. And I remember, you know, remember you and I wrestling up against the yes. wall and most people, as you know, most fighters don't like to wrestle with me because I come back so yeah. hard. Yes. And so, you know, Daniel always says, you know, she might hit you. Yes. Uh, and so, but you always wanted to do that and you always wanted to be in the most awkward or the less productive situations you'd been in prior against whomever would do it with you. Yeah. So I have a huge admiration for you. Thank you so much, honestly. And it's, it's funny too, because a lot of people, especially today, avoid that suck, avoid, oh, sure. avoid that struggle. But luckily for fighters and like, I've had a bunch of fighters, my former teammates on here. And I always remind them, I was like, whatever you do after fighting, you will be fine. Yes. You will be fine. But people just, they're like, oh my, like you see these fighters when they retire and then they come back into fighting. Cause they're like, I don't know what else to do. Yes. Well, I think there's two very big components. 
One of the things, I have a, an athlete with me, Michael Dinn, who's going to be a fighter. He wanted to come to AKA almost two years ago, and I said, no, mm. you know, we're going to wait till you can wrestle really well. But also, too, you need a source of income yeah. so you don't make bad decisions yes. in fighting. Yeah. You know, I don't know how many times Javier Mendez and I've been back in the dressing room going, <laughs> Geez, you know, yeah. I'm not sure, right? Maybe if they'd had an extra four thousand dollars, they might not feel compelled to take this fight early. Yeah, you know, and it's and it's up to you. So one, I think it's really important that you have something else that you can do, and that's something that most people don't like to do. They don't want patience because they're not really looking, Daniel. They d d can't distinguish between being super successful and meeting an immediate emotional gratification that may have been caused from something they're not even emotionally aware of yet, yeah. trauma or, or just wanting to fit in or somebody's affection or attention, and that's the wrong way to do it. Yeah. You know, so I know that your audience doesn't know, you may not even know, I never even went near a wrestling room. I'd never been in a wrestling room until I was 42 years old. What? Yes, never. No, no, I had a high school sweetheart who wrestled, at, you know, everyone was well in, you know, our local high school league, but no, I never was in a wrestling room until I was 42 years old. It was 17 years ago this week. I went to Stanford for my son, Michael, who's now 25, yeah. to wrestle. What? Okay, because I was telling my my little brother who lives with me, he asked me every time, like my guest, and I said, honestly, man, like she is probably hands down one of the best coaches I've ever had around my career, literally. And I said, she will probably murder anybody. <laughs> Like for me, mercy. Every time we wrestled, I was like, "This is different." Right? You know what I mean? Different. And that's why I was like, "Oh, she's probably been been doing this since she was a child." No, not at all. I said I I had come to California in 1999 with my former husband, and we were both in the technology. I was in the venture capital side. Yeah. I did turnaround. He was in the creative development side and we came here in 1999 with our children and then a little bit later maybe three or four years later we decided not to remain married and both my parents uh died mm. and my youngest wanted to wrestle so we would go over to stanford i asked around and met with some people at stanford and they said we have a club program and i went over wow. there and i would watch my son was like the most annoying, you know, <laughs> annoying yeah, beginner wrestler. You know, he like wanted to touch Kerry McCoy's tattoos on his yeah, chest, yeah. you know, like, uh, <laughs> and, uh, but I would watch the math of what they were doing, even yeah. though at the time I could not have articulated it that way. Yes. But I watched them and I said, oh, the physical structure they're making with their body and the propulsion and trajectory they're trying to create is not congruent to taking this other person onto their back and adhering their shoulder blades to the mat that that movement isn't going to work yeah, yeah and so yeah. that's what i saw and just i was fortunate there was a man a, a wrestler who had been also training at the olympic training center um, who came to stanford to help run the club program there and he kept encouraging me he kept saying you yeah i mean i didn't go oh i want to be a coach I, yeah. I didn't have any idea daniel but wow. he would say what you're doing is helpful and then there was two or three athletes Jason Welch, Hunter Collins, and Nico Trigus. And yeah. they you know, they were like, Oh, this is easier to understand. Okay. And then a year later, you know, we had maybe 150, 200 kids oh, at summer God. camp. And that was <laughs> and then it turned into something. But oh, that's that's God. you know, but the here's what I'm back to what we were originally saying. If I had not been open, if I had a preconceived notion in my head of what my life was gonna be and goals based upon my environment around me or what was socially acceptable at the time, yes. I would have never gone this far. But for me, because I had sort of a disjointed childhood, even though it was very affluent and privileged, I 
all I tried to do was sort of survive. So I was very open. I could not have told you mm. what I wanted to obtain, but I knew there was more. I had a faint inkling from something President Carter had said to me as a child, yeah. and he had wanted to know if I was going to go in politics and be public servants like my parents, but I wasn't comfortable with the environment, the the after-hour environment of politics, yes. which I, you know, was right in my face growing up. <laughs> and my parents, um, you know, weren't really probably well set up to be structured parents. Mm. So anyway, when I got to Stanford, you know, and I'm helping out, and I just, I, I didn't know what it was going to be, but I was knew I was compelled. And then I had to change my life, you know, how I treated my body, how I, I, had to, so I had to teach myself how to wrestle because I would say to an athlete, I think you want to be contracting your calf. You know, you've been with me. Yes. My calf, hamstring, heel, toe, knee. You want to pull this muscle back, transverse ab. So since I was not a kinesiologist on my education and I and never took anatomy, I had to like make myself feel those movements. Yeah. And because I am very athletic, even though it wasn't um, a focus of my childhood or my parents toward us, I was able to do it. Yeah. And then, and then in 2011, Daniel Cormier came over, called me up on the phone, and by this time I had a facility that a local man, Fred Marabito, had, had uh, obtained and built out for me. And he said, can I come over and bring some kids? And he came over and he watched and he's like, oh, you're just trying to help everybody get better. Yeah. And then the next day he said, can you and John Hall come over to start coming over to our practices? And that's what happened. And so for maybe eight months, Javi says, Luke and Javi say, it took me about eight months to say a word besides <laughs> yes. hi and bye. You know, but I, I was always the first one there and I was the first one to leave. Yes. And, and then over time, you know, I, I could see all the patterns. So I eventually said, hey, are you trying to do what Daniel's teaching? Or who, I guess it was predominantly Daniel yes. teaching us before Bunch was really coaching. Yes, yes, yes. And I would say, are you trying to do what Daniel is doing? And they would <laughs> say yes. And I'm like, okay, in that case, you need to change levels here. You need to use this muscle. Yeah. And then Javi and, and eventually Bob Cook, who was a little <laughs> more reticent, said, uh, said um, you know, Javi says all the time, she's... You know, Javi tells people all the time that he thinks I'm the best wrestling coach he's ever known. I mean, even we were in Vegas for Islam's, and he says that all the time. Yep. Greg Jackson told me once he said that about me. I mean, people say that to me. Yeah. And I, um, Javi said on a podcast, they were asking about me and does she strike? And he said, well, she asked me if she could come to striking practice. And he said afterwards, I watched. And then I, I said, coach, is this what she was teaching? And he said, if it wasn't, it was probably 20 to 30% better yes. at explaining than he could mm -hmm. where he had done it his whole career. Yeah. And that I just have that, that I have that um, ability, yeah. which was not nurtured in any way mm -hmm. from any kinds of sports involvement or, or anything. But people want me to give an answer that makes them feel comfortable about why I'm good. Yes. And that to me is so sad because that to me is a reflection of somebody else's self-image because they don't say to themselves, wow, I don't even, if I just become open and let, let myself be conceived or develop a thought process that is conceived of forces greater than I, what could I be? They're needing to, there to be a reason hmm. it, why I'm good because they don't either have the ability 
or there's some fear associated with taking that kind of risk with being open. Yes. And that is like the greatest tragedy. Yeah. So for me, you know, all of this is just, and this week in particular, being back at Stanford, I've been at Stanford at the Regional Training Center yes. practices, Olympic Regional Training Center practices. It's just been very emotional because yeah, yeah. the new head coach there and I, Rob Cole, are very close and have been for a long time. And and it's now when I go to AKA or I go to Stanford, you know, I, you know, everyone is the new the new people don't know me, but they can tell by the old people that. Yeah, they should probably, this could be a good opportunity for them to learn something yes. from me. And that's, you know, not always the case, but I, <laughs> I feel it, you know, and then yeah. it's, I say to people like, well, I just didn't know, or I couldn't imagine. I'm like, don't let that inability to imagine be an inhibitor mm -hmm. in your life. And every time you walked into a room, you listen. Everybody in the room is like, shut up and listen. That was it. And I remember our first, one of our first interactions when um, I knew you as a wrestling coach. And I remember when I was, we were just drilling and I uh, I set up the shot wrong. And then you came up to me, you were like, hey, Daniel. And like, you didn't say my name. You were like, excuse me, what's your name again? I was like, oh, Daniel. You're like, hey, have you, did you see that fight with uh, Aljamain Sterling when he shot in and then he got <laughs> kneed in the face? And I was like, yeah. She was like, that could have happened to you if you set up the shot right. And I was like, oh, she's just not a wrestling coach. She's like wanting me to set it up properly with if it's in an MMA match. So I was like, Correct. oh, okay. And then I just started to pay more attention. And then you started using me as an example for class. And I was like, oh, she's strong and hard, you know? Yeah. So I was like, and that's the thing too. If the, if the new people don't understand that, that, that's the problem that bothers me the most. When somebody is speaking in a high level gym and the coach is there, shut up and listen. And if the new guys don't understand that, Mm, what are you doing there? Well, that's and that's the thing that's so. I, yesterday, I was um, being interviewed by the Washington Post um, on Zoom, and I was trying to explain. There's so many. I get when people meet me. One, I don't look like a wrestler. I don't look like a wrestling coach. I'm over. You know, I'm 59 now, which which I really I don't think I look. But I would say I, 34. Right answer. <laughs> but uh, but you know, I'm 59 and I never competed. So there are all these things in, uh, when I look at some of the athletes that have had, like Alejandro Mowgli and those other other people from the Ultimate Fighter came in together to yes. AKA, you remember? Yeah. They came in and Alejandro was the one who grasped on and said, let's wrestle at night, let's do yes. these things. Yeah. And then he ended up going, you know, like I think eight and zero or nine and zero with me in, in the corner, you know, for a long time. And he was because he could wrestle, but he was open to you know open to those things he didn't see me as an older woman who had not competed yeah and i think a lot of people it's not so much your age and younger but older people that have kids that have been influenced by older adults and not allowed to develop you know they have a lot of prejudice so say it's not wrestling or not mma or it's not fighting yeah what else are they not getting because the someone is not the gender or not the race or yes. not the age or not the look. Yeah. You know, it cracks me up, you know, just to be, it's okay to be frank right here. So the thing that kills me is when people say to me, oh, well, you know, I don't have a good relationship or I don't have, you know, I'm never gonna have a satisfying relationship because I don't look like this, this or this. Mm -hmm. You know, when I was a child, all women had flat asses yeah. and there was no mus you know, no muscular de de definition. And now today, you know, the body type is completely different. 60 
60 years, 59 years is every 20 years of change. And I want to say to them, do you think you're the first generation to have an orgasm yeah. or have great sex? Yes. You know, they, they get so wrapped up in these other things that think they're going to define what they are yeah. and how much of life are they missing? You know, why does somebody have to be some a certain way? Why do they have to fit a certain box? Mm -hmm. Why can't the criteria be what meets your own emotional needs? Yeah. What, who are you trying to please? And are those people paying your bills or in your home? Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, it's crazy to me that people get wrapped up or when sometimes we have a, we'll have a fighter. We have some fighters from AKA mm -hmm. who, whose spouses don't look like they're going to, you know, they're going to be an influencer on Instagram yeah. and they're like, can't they do better? I'm like, excuse me. It takes a certain, you know, to be a fighter is a certain amount of narcissism that's not congruent to being in a relationship yes. where there's, um, you know, inclusive equality, yes. and especially when you're raising children, mm -hmm. you know, you don't really need someone whose main focus is how quickly they can get their nails done or what they look like, or yes. if their roots are showing, I mean, all those things are cool. My skincare is like my hobby, but I'm, and I have the best esthetician in the world, Sarah Akram. But I, it, you know, I'll go weeks. I don't have any makeup with me here on this trip, yeah, yeah, because I left it. You know what I'm saying? But I've been perfectly fine the yeah. whole trip. <laughs> you look great. Well, thank. That's the right answer. But you know what I'm saying? Like people, people get wrapped up in stuff that doesn't matter. So when it comes to fighting, when it comes to wrestling, when it comes to competing, you bottom out if you yes. don't have this openness. Yeah. that I think people need. Yeah, and I've always I've, I've always examined this too when I was young, teenage years, early adulthood, until now. I always did the opposite of what other people told me to do. Right. You know, and like it, it kind of like led me to, to where I am now because everybody always told me like, oh, you have to settle down with this partner here. You got to get married at this certain age. You have to have kids at a certain age. It's like, uh, no, no, I don't, I don't think that's accurate. I think... You know, like that, that's my thing too. Like when people just kind of come up to me like, man, damn, I can't believe you're still single. And I'm like, man, is that, is that it? <laughs> is that, is that all, is that all you think about is having a significant other? I was like, do you even know how to be alone? You know? And I've learned that even through my friendships that I have with, uh, my friends that I grew up since the third grade and they just, it's always the next girl, the next party, the next quick fix and i'm like man it's all about longevity and the earlier that you understand that the better off you'll be i think i just had this conversation yesterday with the washington post with maria who's the person who's been doing all the interviews with me and chichi vidal who's a world famous soccer player and ran the world cup and and i've known since i was in college i said there's a difference people think being by yourself or if you make different decisions that you're going to be lonely you're not lonely, you're just separated. And then so for me, you know, it's been it's been since 2020, February 2020, since Christy and I've been back in California. And I'm close with Luke, you know, Rockhold and yeah. Andre Fialu. And but to me, I'd rather be separated. It's because when I'm there with them, it's it it fills all the rest of it in because I'm making decisions in my life that make me unique. Daniel's making decisions in his life. Yes. Javi and Joanna are making decisions in their life. Um, Luke, you know, what a great fight. Yeah, Luke amazing. is making decisions for his life, yeah. but we all are still connected. So when you see each other, nothing changed. It's nothing, nothing changed because those are your, those are the people that you're, you're meant to orbit with, mm -hmm. but you can't live your life in the same orbit. And yeah. if you're always trying to have that feeling 
of connection vibrant and in your face every day if that's your if that's your fix like social media or if that's your endorphin rush it's impossible to maintain and you're going to get yourself in bad situations sometimes that manifests in you know sex addiction or alcohol or drug addiction or you know i just see these these people go off this way they always have to be right they can never be open but that's what's going to make you lonely. Yes. Not setting example examples of how you want to live your life and making a standard. You don't have to throw it in anybody else's face, but you are going to be separated. Yes. I mean, I don't drink, and I don't drink for a variety of reasons. I don't drink because I've never just said, oh, I'm so glad I'd been drinking because I did this. <laughs> Two, because of Daniel's last strike force fight. Yeah. We were in the back late at night, and we were drinking shots. And a man put his hand down my shirt and I grabbed his collar and I, you know, punched him in the face. Yeah. Kane and Daniel there broke his nose. And Damn. um Daniel and Kane and all those Bob Cook, all those people were there. <laughs> but I wasn't I wasn't wrong to have struck him. No, I, mean, I was absolutely not. my 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 tissue and my chest was damaged for a very long time. It was a very aggressive, you know, uh whatever you want to call it. Yeah. But I'm like, I have a lot of anger and that is not Alcohol is not going to help me do that. And also, too, I can't function as a coach. I'm yeah. still wrestling. I'm still striking. Yeah. I'm, I'm still. I was at. I was down at Daniel's, and I was trying to show something on Duran, and you know, he <laughs> he reacted, and like he's like, I'm gonna. He like he's like, I'm gonna head and arm you. And I mean, I was hands up, yeah, yeah, and all yeah. the kids were like, and, and then Duran's like, Oh yeah, I forgot. You know? <laughs> <laughs> she, she's gonna react yeah. but that's so so i don't drink so now my friends that i went to high school with or i lived near yes some don't drink but like i don't get invited to things because i don't yeah and then they want to know why i don't want to drink or why i don't and i um i don't mind not being invited at all yes i do other things with them i go to lunch go to brunch i spend time with them you know I read the same books with them so we can talk about it go to concerts yes. where you know it's it's a little bit easier not to be a lot of bar but that's the choice that I make. But I'm, I love that. Yeah. Is it, is that, uh, do you have to worry that sometimes? Cause you do, uh, train, uh, a lot of youngsters. Yes. Um, is it difficult sometimes? Cause as they're developing so and so forth there, it, it takes a while. It took for me for a while to understand like, Oh, how to really be open-minded. It's kind of why I started this show and how like every guest has something, show. everybody brings something different to the table. And that's for me to like, listen, understand and apply in my day-to-day life, what you guys teach me, you know, but that's being open-minded. A lot of people, they're just so married to their ideas. They're just like, I believe this and nothing else is going to change my mind. And I feel like that's, it's like, that's, that's stuck to me. You know, just imagine like if, if you stuck to your method as a coach from like the first couple of years, but you've never adapted or changed. That's right. doesn't work. Exactly. Like it led you to there. So do you, uh, when you notice somebody who isn't open-minded, like how do you approach that student or athlete? Well, this is going to be, you don't find this, probably find this pretty interesting because we did not have this dynamic at AKA, but the most thing, most things that happen to athletes that work with me of any age is that they get, um, there's a lot of comments to them about having a female coach. Yeah. So from the get go, once I'm able to show them that math based movement and sequential muscle order helps yeah. them do what they've either I've taught them or somebody else has taught them better then they they naturally become more open-minded and then they have to learn early how to stand up to people Mm. because oftentimes I'll work with an athlete and their high school coach who 
by no means is getting paid what they're worth, mm. are not being sent off to learn new technique, who are taking time from their own families, dealing with the school system. They yeah. have my utmost admiration and sympathy, but they are repeating what they've known for you know, 20 or 30 years, yes. and they're not open-minded because they have to teach a group of 30 kids mm-hmm. of all different levels, and they care and their spouse may be wanting them to do something else with their spare time. Like I get it, but those kids get harassed and they have to learn how to say, coach, this is what I'm doing in the off season. 75% of my hundred percent of the year career. And this is what I'm going to do. So they become open-minded and I'm straight up, you know, I'm not going to be mad. They certainly not mad if they don't win. I'm certainly not mad if they get scared. I'm not mad of any of those things. I get, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna be unhappy over prejudice, uh, s- sexual orientation mm-hmm. discrimination, um, gender discrimination, race discrimination, comments laughing at somebody else, and I just say I exp- I take the time, yeah, because you know most coaches aren't who who choose to work with youth. So that's what people say to me. Why do you still work with youth when you could just be at, you could just work mm-hmm. with all the champion fighters. Right, they see me with, you know, Habib or Islam, or you know, I'm always welcome. You know, as you know, right, in that yeah. group and in that situation, and they're like, why don't you just do that full time? But I want to help kids have an opportunity to go to college. So most coaches don't have the time to sit still and explain the details of life to them. Like this is how you make a grocery list. This is really the truth about you know, politics because all the parents and coaches are working. So when athletes come and stay in my home, mm-hmm. they get ahead. You know, I'm teaching yes. them how to balance their checkbook. I'm teaching them how to budget. I'm teaching them, you know, I'm, I'm showing them film, you know, movies like the contender and yes. things about, about national politics, you know, the, I, you know, all the, all the movies that affect global economics. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they really don't get that. And there's their coaches. They can't, spend the time with them. So becoming open-minded because every time they have a success that's based on their open-mindedness, whether it has to do in competition or it has to do as a human Mm. is the highlight. And that's, that's what we, we call out Mm. in any situation, whether it's before practice, after practice, banquets, recognition scenarios is, is the person who took a chance on being Mm open-minded as opposed to whether they had the most pins or something that may be a pre-genetic disposition mm. is dominating. I mean, when you're, when you're seven to 11, I mean, maybe you're, maybe you're just bigger. Yeah. Maybe you're, you know, it's technique isn't always the defining factor. Maybe you're athletic, yeah. you know, but that's not going to, if they don't learn to be open-minded, that athleticism is going to fail them mm. when they, when they get older. Agreed. People think that I'm just about athleticism because of the body leveraging and how I teach them when they're young, but really there's no point in me teaching them the technique that I think works best best mathematically for their body, Mm. meaning short torso, long legs, or short legs, long torso, until they can use their muscles in sequential order. Mm. So they think that I'm doing tumbling or gymnastics, but really it's, you know, math-based exact movement that comprises 95% of the technique that Mm. works against the best math-based body position. Yes, agreed, a lot agreed. of technique and fighting. Like, you know, we go in a room, like we were back at AK and of course yeah. there are people in there who don't know us. So they're 
there. Adam Piccolotti was there this week. Yeah. And this man who's a fighter, who's a very good wrestler, was wrestling with Chrissy. And after Chrissy, you know, got in on him a few times, he slowed it down and said, well, you really what you should be doing is this and this. And Adam leaned over and goes, why can't they just let him wrestle? I said, I don't know. Dang. You know, I don't know why people can't do that. Yeah. But when it's it's new or it seems foreign to them, I mean, I think they want to help, but they're not open-minded. Mm. You know, and they're like, oh, well, you know, Chris, I'll be teaching the practice and coaching and someone will come up and say, you should be doing this. And I said, that's not what we do. And they're like, Oh my goodness. Yeah, and and I'm like that he doesn't he doesn't know what that means or Ryan Franco doesn't know what that means or Jesse Vasquez didn't know what that means or Josh Saunders, Aaron Gandara, John Hall, Drew Morgan. I mean the list of you know nationally ranked, yeah. nationally achieving athletes in college and internationally and but I just won't go there. Mm. And and they find that crazy threatening. You have to understand that you could have spent your large portion of your life doing something one way and in a flick of an eye, someone can give you information that completely removes the value of that to your life except for you to have known that I have the power to change something that's been dominant for me in your, in your whole life. Yeah. When Javier Mendez says something to me about me that others might not find flattering if somebody said to them, I find it engaging and a sign of commitment as my one mentor and of love mm -hmm. that he would say that to me. And I'm willing in an instant to push all that other stuff aside and turn toward what Javi has to say to me. Yes. But for so many people that struggle of what they've done for so long, they need it to matter when in reality you have to be open to letting it go in anything. You could be with a partner for years and then have them finally get to a point where they're telling you something and you want to say, why didn't you tell me that 19 years ago? Mm, yeah. Maybe they're saying, Hey, I don't want to have children or I don't want to retire here. Or, I don't want to spend our retirement the way you want. Yes. I want to take it and do something else. And you have to go, I'm either going to do this or I'm not going to do this, but it's from, from, from the next four minutes on my life's never going to be the same. And how do I, and, and if you have experience adjusting, whether it's in wrestling or fighting or changing your diet, then you'll do it. Mm -hmm. I mean, to me, when people say, I can't change what I eat, mm. I'm like, what are you gonna do? You're setting yourself up to be your children's biggest problem yeah. from the age of 55 on, Jeez. you know? And, and dude, where's the love? But but I don't know what's happened to them, Daniel. I don't think people are bad or, or innately bad. I think they're um, uh, experience trauma or, or things. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I use the word trauma mm -hmm. generally. I don't mean necessarily physical trauma or, yes. or sexual abuse, but they've had defining things that feel like trauma to them. Yes. And then they, they don't process it and move forward. And I think America, especially American psychology has said, you have to do this traditional method of going to sit in somebody's office for 45 minutes where the the therapist is getting adjusted, pulling out your notes. Mm -hmm. So last week we discussed this, what's changed yes. instead of learning to practice sort of a holistic psychology where you can um, use that other methodology too mm -hmm. as a guiding factor, but change. I mean, if you as a fighter only 
got better when I, if you only got better at wrestling when I was available to you at AKA and you didn't practice it the rest of the time, yeah. you're not going to get better. Exactly. I mean, you're only talking when, at AKA we practice on Tuesdays. <laughs> yes. So there's 52 <laughs> weeks. That's, that's what 40, maybe if you, maybe, maybe you get to 45 yeah. practices a year and, <laughs> And maybe you're getting some accurate coach. Maybe Bunch isn't there that day or Crutchford's not there that yeah, day. Yeah. So you're not getting the accurate. I mean, Chrissy gets, you know, on the on the average week, you know, maybe five hours a day, six days a week mm. of accurate coaching that he's practicing in the moment. And then when yeah. he people go, why is he, why is he, why is Jesse Vasquez, why are these guys so good? Mm. But that was their experience. Yes. And they don't, they don't, they don't want to do that. Where did this uh, leadership come from? Because, like you said, mm. you are you're doing the extra from what a coach is um, is doing in my eyes. Mm. Coaches they kind of just wait for their their students, their athletes to come into the gym, and then they're ready to teach. But you're doing so much outside the gym. Where did that leadership come? You from? You know, it's interesting. When I first started hanging out at Stanford at the club practices, there was a group of local Palo Alto kids, Cooper Newby, who's now a wildly successful entrepreneur i mean well-known world-known mm -hmm. patrick sheehan john hall um ryan drebin who i think is at apple i mean they went to brown like these kids were coming over to stanford to this practice and they weren't as good as jason welch or hunter collins or nico trigas who are nationally became nationally ranked level kids but they were putting in the same effort and they would be maybe gassing out in practice or mm -hmm. be tired i'm like well what are you eating what are you what what's your cardio like what are you doing oh well i don't know our coach just says this mm. well it turns out their coach was also the football coach was also commuting an hour every day mm. he's not going to be there at five in the morning he's not yeah. and i could see that they genuinely wanted it some of the parents who would be in the room would be yelling at their seventh and eighth graders ninth graders saying you don't want this you're not working hard enough i'm like sir your kids out there in a white spandex singlet with their johnson showing that you know which i assume they're not wearing to the mall um so they do want it they're just the coaching that's available and how they learn yes is not intersecting so initially i used to help kids get into college write their essays there was a man who was at the olympic training i mean from the olympic training center I was at stanford who's like i'll help you meet the coaches and call mm -hmm. them if you can help them with their paperwork yes. so it became out of a desire for them to get where they were going to mitigate the parents um angst toward them which i don't think they didn't like their kids by any means i think they're tired i think they're underpaid i think they have to pay bills i think they're taking time away from their own personal physical fitness they're driving all the way to stanford you know there's pressure yeah. I, I don't think there's there's no uh one villain in this situation yes but controlling what you put in your body mm -hmm. and getting up in the morning and taking them to palo alto high school to the gym and my children were little they would just sleep in my suv mm -hmm. in their sleeping bags before school and even though i didn't run the miles with them i'd have them put on military boots and five pound weights because that's what Muhammad Ali used to do. And he's mm -hmm. from my home state and, wow. you know, loosely acquainted with my father who's deceased, but with my family as national wow. politicians, yeah. you know, I came for this legacy and he yes. would always run in military boots mm -hmm. to make, you know, himself stronger cardio wise. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so I started doing that and then I would get the kids back and they would go to school and they'd get better. And then I would teach them how to eat. They would all come to my house. Yes. And then Los Gatos high school kids started coming, Jeff Doss and uh, Victor Gonzalez and those, those boys. And it just turned into something. Mm -hmm. 
and that's that's really where that where that came from i think though as a child my mother was that way toward not my brothers and i but toward other people that were around her she Mm -hmm. had a huge commitment to people who had uh, different gender preferences and races and she was a national level um, influencer she was executive director of many national medical associations and public health associations that would have hundreds of thousands of members. Mm -hmm. And she was probably one of the first people to hire openly gay people into vice president and level roles in Washington, D.C. This is in the 70s. Yeah, especially back then. Right in the 70s and such. So I think that I I felt, I'd already felt that and I felt a big compelling from President Carter who was in office when my dad was a national politician who you know, I would interact with, you know, intermittently, but, you know, maybe four or five times a year. And he was, he's, he's about public service. What are you going to do for public service, Carolyn? Who are you, who do you want to be? So I think that was innately in me. And it, it hit me at a time where, like I said, I had, uh, both my parents had died. I'd recently separated, got divorced. And I had just finished a major venture capital deal and I wasn't under pressure. Mm. So I was sort of sitting still. Mm. And I felt this need and people would come to me and say, hey, we have this uh, VC, we need a turnaround with this company. We have a $100 million investment, can you do it? And I could not get um, emotionally wrapped up and to do it. I was like, oh, I wonder if that kid has socks for this tournament. Or I wonder who's gonna, what food they're gonna eat. Yes. You know, are they gonna be eating donuts in between? Maybe if I make this, you know, burritos with ground turkey and eggs yeah. and take it to them this morning and make yes. enough for their team. Mm-hmm they'll perform better and then they'll want to they'll want to change or maybe it'll help their parents. So I think that's where I came from. I will say is even though I don't um uh, I'm not close with my siblings and I wouldn't say I have a connection to my parents. Um they were both deceased and my parents as um like when, when kids used to say to me you're like a second mother, mm. I would have a visceral reaction because that wasn't my remembrance of um uh, you know positivity uh yes. as a child mm-hmm. so i uh, you know, I, I can't say what happened in my parents lives i don't know yeah. but but i can only speak about you know my now but i think that i um for whatever my parents were toward me as public servants as people who wanted to help indigent people in our home state of kentucky who people who um served in a political capacity for their entire careers and did it with not because they wanted to be in front of the limelight, but because they wanted to genuinely help. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I was fortunate to have that yes. that experience. Yeah. So I take that away from them with much pride, mm-hmm. you know, and think that's what makes me leadership. And I think also, you know, uh, somebody asked me once to ask six people what were the one word they would say about you. And I asked Javi, he said brilliant, but the other four people said brave, mm-hmm. and I'm brave. And my mom was brave. Yeah. She was the first woman to do a lot of things. And, you know, in actuality, Daniel, you know, I am the first woman to be a chief coroner in the UFC where it's not, where I'm not a spouse or a, yeah. a significant other. And I didn't even know that. You know, Javi yeah. never told me. I'm not sure Javi knew, but, but you know, Javi's like, no, she's the mic wearer. No, she's, he wouldn't let them take that from me. Yes. I'm the first, um, at least I've been told I'm the first woman to ever corner a D1 wrestling match. And that was, you know, a coach felt I was the better person to do it because of my longevity with the athlete yes. in some certain situations. You know, I've been the first to do 
a lot of things. And I don't think we've ever had a conversation at AKA where they said, oh, well, Carolyn's the first, but because I don't think that's why Javi uh, wanted me to do it or why, you know, Daniel supported me or Luke supported me or Josh Thompson, yeah, another huge supporter, you know, supported me or the, I don't think it was because I was the first woman, but my mom was the first, like she was the first to openly belong as a single woman by herself in to a, a social setting, a country club in Northern Virginia. She was the first person to, uh, you know, bring somebody she wasn't married to, but who she lived with into a social environment in the seventies. Yes. She, she did a lot of things that she was, that was very brave mm -hmm. and uh, she didn't do it because she was trying to be brave. She did it because it met her need and uh, she wasn't going to back down. And it passed on to you. Yes, I did, definitely. Yeah. So like you, you said, cornering uh, professional fighters. Right, right. Oh, so yeah. awesome. fight, fighting is, is hell in itself. It is a wild thing to be in that cage locked up. But it's always interesting for me as a coach's perspective because my brother fights currently and watching him fight is hell. <laughs> and I'm like... It's funny because in my fights, I'm not really, I'm, I'm more enjoying the moment and just embracing this, that feeling. My brother, I am like stressed to the gills. Like yes. I, I can't take it. And I'm like, man, I have no control of this event right now. Like, what do I do? And all I can do is just like, like he prepared properly. He did everything right. It's just who shows up that night. So you as a coach, what's your mindset like while you're just watching your athlete perform and in the cage? Yeah. I when I am not watching the clock and I'm not watching doing the things that Javi does. I am looking for what math-based movement is going to force the other person to be in a place where the athlete I'm cornering is effective. Yeah. So a lot of people say in wrestling and in fighting, you have to create angles. Uh, I don't know how to say this any other way. You cannot create an angle. <laughs> You can try to force someone to move their body in a position that when you choose to move your body toward them, yes, you can pick a spot and a force and a trajectory that creates an angle that allows you to uh, intercede with them. Yeah. So when I'm walking out to the cage, depending on who it is, mm. you know, my heart rate is very, very high. Yeah. The first fight I ever did was with <laughs> Javi in Monterey, Mexico. And, you know, I, we're walking out and uh, because Alejandro had won the Ultimate Fighter Latin America, it yeah. was one of the main events. And we're probably nine-tenths to the cage and Javi looks over his shoulder and says, don't speak over to me, carry the bucket, don't forget the gloves, pick up the stool. That was it. <laughs> that was my, all Javi said to me the entire, the entire time. And um, we'd been in the, you know, in the dressing room with uh, Greg Jackson and... Um, there were a lot of Izzy Martinez. There were a lot of people who, you know, were pretty, I'm just sitting there, you know, waiting to go. But um, I have to say to myself on the way in that um, my only way to assist in what's going to happen is to remain extremely calm. Mm. So, you know, I try to breathe and I try to, uh, you know, be prepared. And then when I'm cornering with, I don't always corner with Javi, even in the UFC, yeah. but I mean, I've been in the corner with Habib and I've been in the corner with Mowgli over, overseas and some other people. But with Javi, Javi will, is often if they're Spanish speaking, Javi's speaking in Spanish, mm -hmm. but Javi will often say, whether it's in English or Spanish, what I'm saying. Yes. 
you know, he he's gonna he's gonna say what he's gonna say. I'm not saying anything, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm I'm not likely to say, get up, um, explode. Mm. Um, you've got to want this. Yes. I, I think that the amount of preparation it takes to get there is an indicator of somebody wants it. They may crack in the process, you know, not make weight. Yeah. Um, you know, get dehydrated. What all the things that people can self sabotage themselves to do. Yes. But that doesn't. That isn't an indicator they don't want it. That's just another part of the formula of being successful at anything in life. That's showing there's an opportunity to make it better. Mm-hmm. So you can't you can't be a- angry with them about it. You just have to try to adjust from that moment, and then you have to know. Here's the big one. You have to know that your self image isn't based on how this person does regardless of the audience, regardless of what the commentators are saying about you. I mean, the commentators weren't always Daniel, right? John John Anik and Daniel Cormier (laughs) are going to speak super highly of me. You know, Bruce Buffer (laughs) likes me a great deal. I know Mike Beltran, you know, I helped coach his kid growing up. And those people, Laura Senko, they're going to be great. But there are other people like, who's the lady? What is she saying? I've never heard that before. What does she mean? Wait in the back leg, and it's almost because they have to talk, talk, talk. Mm. They they have to have something to say. They often people commentate toward the negative yeah. as to the positive because they don't know what to say. They can't. They're not creative. They yeah. themselves are not creative or open minded. So that's okay. So I have to say to myself, my self image is not based on this, mm-hmm. and I'm going to move forward. I, when our fighters at AKA, you know, our better our better fighters, Kane, Daniel, Josh Thompson, whomever, mm-hmm. Luke. Yeah. didn't have a fight that went their way i would reach out to javi and bob often and mm-hmm. say hey man, i'm sorry that didn't go our way and they'd always say to me oh, i've been doing this so long carolyn i i know that's a, that's part of it i'm glad you're thinking of me but i'm always okay mm-hmm. please keep thinking of me i appreciate the support but i am always okay yeah and that's where i i had to go and i see the adverse effects of that in high school wrestling or the coaches, their whole self-image is based on what the kid, on what a kid that's not their kid, that's not even 18 years of age is doing. And, they, and they're not even aware enough to know that they probably shouldn't be screaming, you're disappointing me. Yeah. But they're really, it's really, they're disappointed in themselves. Yeah. I mean, if, kid, if a kid steals something or doesn't do their homework or whatever. So back to the fighting, you know, I think that's the, that's the main thing. And then trying to, good or bad, get the fighter into the reality of what here's everything what do you think you did well this is what i think i did well are you open to hearing where you could have improved today tomorrow next week yes you know here's i have a list and i immediately document it and so i have it to bring it you know to bring it up to them later yeah i think that's so important it's, i think a uh, gsp is a perfect example of this um i think when he fought uh dan hardy he in the last round i believe he was uh, he had a submission on him and it was locked and it was like looked like it was overextending and GSP couldn't finish it after he won by unanimous decision he spent 2 hours in the locker room with his jiu-jitsu coach trying to figure out what he did wrong and like that obsession as an athlete it's like and while his whole family was waiting outside oh we're waiting for you George like the after let's party go. let's go let's, let's get, get out he's like no 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 i'm mastering my craft like this is my this is my wife right you know like i have to be like this is my person if i'm not giving this 110% i will fail and even though he won defended his title he's still in the locker room you know yes. like that's that's what it takes and 
for for young kids uh like the young gentleman over here uh how does it feel to nearly and if so be a mentor towards them uh, oh that's uh how does it feel um daunting i mean it's a responsibility that's uh that's i had a therapist say once to me to tell my children that regardless of title doesn't mean character mm. and being a you know everybody's you join a little league some parent graciously volunteers to coach because they have to have a coach but that does not mean that person has the skill set the mindset the moral integrity this self-awareness to change the ability to say i was wrong to admit their mistakes or not they don't have the vulnerability to say i was wrong yeah and then that's you know that's very daunting it is a i love it but i often don't like it mm. you know i i'm proud of who i am i um know that I do things that others can't do, but do I always enjoy it? Like it? No. Why is that? Uh, but because um, it's hard. You're dealing with circumstances. When you take a, a person on, a young person on, you have no control over what's happened to them prior. Mm. They may not have processed, processed it. You may not be getting the whole 411. Yes. Everybody, everybody, whether I'm in a store or an airport or out to dinner or here, have a persona that's made available to you or to whoever you're around, but that may not be what's happening mm. in a closed environment. Yes. And so all those things, you know, come into play. Mm. And uh, for me, um, I, because I know math is always right, mm. I know that a lot of what I see is accurate. And I, a lot of people don't see it, so they they get angry and forceful. Yes. And so, uh, you know, taking people on in whatever capacity, maybe I see them once a year, they've come the last six years to summer camp for yes. two weeks, or whether they're, you know, currently residing uh, and training for an extended period of time with me as an athlete, whether it's, you know, a fighter coming and staying for a month or, or you know, Andre Fialu is just up, you know, who I adore. And so he was up for, you know, he's just makes you feel so great but no matter what it is it's um it's 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 daunting it's um it's it's a lot and they're going to be you know people who don't like that you can give somebody this opportunity they don't like that you can do it 24 7 because they really want to do it 24 7 in their life circumstances as it turned out that they could of course so you know i i do i do like it i do think i feel I feel, I mean, I do love it, but I don't, I sincerely don't always like it. And that's uh, a kink in my chain. Mm. You know, that's my my personal stuff that I have to adjust, yes. right? You know, like, why, why do I need so much personal time? Well, maybe I'm not really changing in my personal time. Mm. The methodology I'm using, what I'm reading, what I'm listening to, yes. you know, am I binge watching, you know, some series on Netflix <laughs> or am I digging down into the you know, the, the latest, you know, uh, holistic psychology book that allows yes. me to work on myself when I'm not available yeah. to go to a psychologist's office and sit there in front of them for 45 yes. minutes yes. when I'm not even in my home, in, you know, for the next, I mean, I think literally the next 45 days, we're only in Virginia in our home, maybe 
10 days. Wow. So, you know what I'm saying? So, so I think that's, I think that's, you know, really what it's, you know, what it's like. It's a lot of seeing, you know, painful situations. And then I guess the other thing is a lot of the kids who come, they're looking for, I work with are looking for success that is evident Hmm. to whoever views it. I won this, I beat this, I did this. And when they're doing that, when they want to have a win that's evident, that can be seen by others, documented on social media, they are trying to meet the emotional needs of somebody else, Mm. a former coach, a parent, a sibling, an aunt, an uncle, somebody who's judged them, somebody who's put pressure on them, somebody who has shared too much of what, it makes them feel to sacrifice to support them. Mm. And none of those people are doing it with the intent to hurt the child. Yes. None of them are. Yeah. And they, if you explain it to them, they don't see it. Some do, some don't, some see a pattern, some can't. And I, and I can't turn the other way mm-hmm. and, and figure that situation out. Yeah. I can only go this way Yes. where I'm going. So I have to teach them to find success and pride and the things they've changed about themselves. Hey, I don't know if you're going to beat this kid, but if we can execute these four movements, whether they're successful or not, and it's a change in pattern on what hasn't worked, yeah. you're going to be a lot better off in your entire life because whether your parents are dying of cancer or you're in a significant relationship with kids and your spouse is unhappy and wants to leave, yeah. whatever, you'll know how to change. Yes. And you don't need other people's approval. Is it lovely? Yes. Yeah. Is it lovely? Yes. Yes. But it's, but it's not, it's not, and it's so crazy because literally coaches or people who run clubs or organizations, they'll meet from the time I started working with, uh, well, not Jason Welch because his parents were really in control. They were excellent parents or, or excellent parents. But from the time some of those athletes in 2007 to now, when they, when they come and they, get better I go to them and they get better people will come up and say well you should come to my club now or or I'll take care of you now or I'll do this now and I'm like uh what you're gonna you're gonna put the time money and effort in now yeah their parents are gonna invest in you now they're gonna Mm -hmm. that's not possible but but if you explained it to that person you're do you hear what you sound like yes you sound like you're saying that you can't develop an athlete on your own because that's what you're saying that they don't see that they're looking, they themselves are looking for that outward proof mm. of success. I, I know we're on each other's social media, but I rarely write wrestling prep did this or this many kids have done this yeah. or we won this. I always say the same mm-hmm. congratulations. So-and-so congratulations. Yeah. I try to stay out of the, out of the, I'm not trying to be in any rankings. I'm not going to post this kid was put in the top 10 freshmen. Sometimes people tag me in those things and and I'm not going to dismiss their general interest in having others see what they feel the success of wrestling prep or what I've done is, but it doesn't, it doesn't define me. The only time I pull out those kinds of stats is when I'm trying to help an athlete and there's some adult who's trying to overrun me and I, I like literally Ron Kessler, perfect example. Yes. I had this guy from PA and he was saying, and Ron's from PA. I don't know if you know yeah. that Ron was a I, very, I, very famous wrestler. I had no he, idea. Yes, and he was coached by Robbie Waller, who was a very famous coach. Yeah. And Ron is a legend okay. in wrestling. You know, now of course, 
jujitsu, it became his love. Yeah. But as a child and high school athlete, you know, Ron is a legend. Wow. And so um, I said, well, they, he's like, well, you know, Ron Kessler. I said, actually, I do. Mm-hmm. And Ron, and Ron, I guess he reached out and Ron's answer was, do you have Instagram? Can you read? Can you read? Do you know what I mean? Like, yes. you know, can you, the Wrestling Prep Facebook page probably has 76,000 pictures. Oh, I mean, how many pictures does there need to be yes. of me with you, of me? Mm. I mean, how many pay-per-view preview shows does Daniel Cormier have to do where he's wearing Wrestling Prep gear in it? Yeah. Right? Why, why does Daniel do that? You know why he does it, because he's trying to support me. And that's the best way for him to do it. How many people watch those things? I think in really literally like half of them since I've known him, he's wearing his wrestling prep shirt. Yeah. And he never says to me, I'm going to wear my, I'm going to make me cry. He never says I'm going to do it, but he always does it. And if you know him, like you and I know him, there's no undeliberate action on his part. Yeah. Everything's deliberate. So, you know, I, I, uh, I think that people make it hard to work with youth but um, I do think it's the wrestling is because I could do what I could do with math based. I could do it for basketball yeah. from Kentucky, you know, hey, go big blue. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm a Wildcat fan until I die. And, um, you know, I could do it for another sport that was high profile. I could probably garner a position at the UFCPI. Yes. You know, I, I'm, I'm sure I probably could do all those things because Javi and Habib and those guys would, Ali, would say yeah. that, that I'm competent, you know. Yes. And, that, and I don't think the Muslim fighters in general embrace a female coach like they've embraced me, mm, you know, for yeah. for a long time and have been included yeah. in the into their religion appropriate ways. Yes. There's no other girl hanging out. You know what I'm saying? Mm. It's not it's not not how it goes. But um, I think wrestling is doing what I felt my parents did and what I learned from President Carter. They used to, I read one of his books and it said, when you enter this room, they had a, on their ranch or farm, or they call them plantations in the South. There was a sign his mother put over the schoolhouse door, which they educated all the, all the uh, kids who worked, whose parents worked on the farm, no matter of race, you know, and color. And it said, enter to learn, leave to serve. Mm. And I think wrestling was that at 42, I found finally what i didn't know it in the moment but here's a sport there's no pre-genetic disposition it's based on weight class there is no gender bias Mm -hmm. you can't blame anybody else you have to go out there if you don't do anything you get the other opponent gets points for your stalling what is a better precursor for life Mm -hmm. and does it is it did i know in the beginning that i would end up with athletes or i'd end up being able to coach at a level where they would garner national attention or Olympic level attention or NCAA championship attention or yeah. or somebody like Javier Mendez would put trust in me or seek my advice and Luke and those guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. I mean, I had no idea, but I did know from the get-go that this sport was going to make uh, every individual in it potentially more prepared to be an active and productive member of society that I was going to have to use my tax money to pay for yeah. because they were going to feel entitled and just mm-hmm. want handouts. Mm-hmm. I mean, my, my parents were Democrats. So <laughs> even though I'm probably, you know, only, only on gender bias yeah. and, uh, you know, people who genuinely need help, mm-hmm. but I can't think of a better sport. If you've wrestled, 
There's there's no amount of hard work that's going to be foreign to you. You might have trauma and damage that you haven't worked through, yeah. but you can apply the same work ethic to conquering those things as you can others. Yes. And so for me, that I think that was, and that's probably my answer I tried to give to people when I'd say, say, well, why are you just doing this? Why aren't you coaching at, uh, when Rob Cole was at Cornell, why aren't you up at Cornell all the time? Why aren't you at Stanford now? Why, you know, would I be a welcome, a member of that uh, community? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yes, yeah. definitely. I mean, that that's, they've made that evident, you know, Chrissy and all of us, we know that that's true. But they're at Stanford, they're at Cornell. Can I come in and teach a math-based movement that's gonna help their careers and maybe help them wanna be better athletes? Yes. Yes. But it's that years before that matters. So when people say that to me, well, you should do this or you'd get more of this, I, they're, they're not realizing that they've just opened up their kimono mm. and I now see their opportunity to embrace change. Yeah. Not like ha ha ha, but Hey, you're fortunate. You have all this. You're so successful already. If you even embraced all this other change, you could be more. Yes. And that's what, you know, we, I want for everybody. Mm -hmm. That's what I want for everybody. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, the going back to the, but going back to the pro fighters and what fight life like, people see what they see on TV, but they do not see, you know, flying on a plane, getting there, sitting around, waiting to go. The UFC yeah. could not be more organized and helpful, but it's, uh, it's, it's all these people with different maturity levels or experience levels, different management types, people who've only seen the hype. So when it's their first couple of fights, they're trying to grab the hype and they think that, they're fitting in, you know, in actual, you know, in actuality, yeah. we're just sitting around playing cards or, you know, sitting in, I can't tell you how many times I've sat next to Javier Mendez in a, <laughs> in a restaurant for hours and hours and hours. And, uh, you know, didn't, um, didn't do anything or say anything yeah. to each other, you yeah. know, or Alejandro for a long time, Alejandro couldn't speak English. Yeah. So it'd be like coach, coach, you yes. know, <laughs> 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 and, <laughs> God knows, you know what I mean? Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, going to get going to get gear. I, I remember being in Croatia, and I flew in a day late. It was the first UFC fight in Europe. Wow. So I flew in a day late because I'd been at Flow Nationals with Ryan Franco and some of the athletes you knew when you were training at AKA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I got there, and they said there was some problem getting the gear into the country and customs. So everybody was up waiting to get gear everybody main event everybody and they had like this old-fashioned room that had chairs all the way around kind of like a doctor's office when i was a child and i walk in and there was a, a man american and so the main event guys well some of them michael marta was there from poland and who'd been at aka so they're all you know like you know everybody's cutting weight nobody's jumping up yeah but you know they're all just you know doing the salty head nod and i'm like sitting in the sitting in the door frame because there's no place to sit <laughs> and this guy's like hey hey Hey, to me, I said, yes. He goes, do you know, I like, are you, do you know where you, are you really supposed to be? Do you know where you are? Are you really supposed to be in here? Wow. And I said, is this the room where all these men are going to take on and off their clothes and yeah. try on, <laughs> try on second skinned and spandex? Yes. He said, yes. I said, oh, I'm definitely in the right place. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody laughed and he goes, this isn't your first fight. I said, no, but 
it might be yours. Dang. And, and I said, he was nice. You know what I mean? Yeah, We're laughing. Yeah, and, yeah. I said, and I said, and the worst problem is when soon as somebody sticks their head out of that room for the UFC, I'll definitely be taken care of first. Yeah. You know, because they wanted to get me out because, yes. I'm, because I'm a girl. Yeah. But, you know, and that's so... You know, I mean, those those types of things. But that's that's the interactions. You're around a bunch of professionals who are all on edge. Some have experience being on edge. Some don't. Mm-hmm. Some have people walking around being nervous. Yes. All kinds of rumors are flying. You don't know where someone's waiting. You could have somebody on wait, and they could go back to their room and eat something. Yeah. And you get down to the scale at 5 in the morning, and you left them at 2 pounds over, and now they're 7. Yeah. And you've got till 9. And, you know, you just got to get that stuff done. Right. And uh, it's not glamorous. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many times I've walked up to the way in and the person up there initially thought I was the athlete's mom (laughs) or of course, you know, like I'm sweated through (laughs) my hair stuck to my skin. I, I look like I haven't bathed because I've been in the sauna. Yeah. You know, grinding with right, them, suffering right, with them. Right. You know, fanning the <laughs> swirling. Angel Zahudo taught me to swirl the yes. towel. I mean, like, I'm in it. Yeah. My eyelashes are stuck together because yeah. my mascara. I had to learn not to wear mascara in the sauna. <laughs> I was at a fight and uh, Nick Price was in there and he was laughing. I'm like, Nick, can you help me open yeah. my eyes open? Like, I mean, I've been through all, I've done all of that, you know? So it, uh, it's not glamorous. It's mm-hmm. not easy. And while I do it and I love doing it, it is not the same as sitting with a kid and saying, listen, just because your friend said this to you, that is not who you are. Yeah. That is an indicator that they're not your friend. It's okay to separate yourself. Mm-hmm. And while others will indicate that's lonely and society will make you feel like an outcast, it is in actuality the truism of life. You are by yourself more than you're with others. Even if you're sleeping in the same bed with someone, your mind is not connected. You are on your own. You have to control these thoughts and you have to learn boundaries. Not like boundaries, like, you know, like uh, if you go over this boundary, you're going to get shot down by, you know, an enemy country. (laughs) But, but you know, this is, this is life. So the fighting for, I guess the best thing about fighting for me is that uh, I had to learn, like a lot of people, when things don't go your way, they look down and reach down and try to push, get, either get results out of people who aren't capable of meeting your emotional need mm-hmm. or they get a, a little attacking. Yes, I've learned that it's better to be vulnerable and reach up. And that group of people is very small for me with Javier Mendez at the top. Yeah. in every aspect of my life and a woman named Lois Matus who I rarely get to see but I know what she would say to me mm-hmm. uh, you know and so I have to separate myself to get in the mindset I mean I don't call Javi every week but if I need to speak to him yes. you know I can mm-hmm. you know no matter where he is in the world or you know if I if somebody isn't treating me equitably and I feel overwhelmed you know Daniel and Henry Cejudo in particular Henry Cejudo in particular is going to react yeah. if I need help. Mm-hmm. I mean, real help where it's not like they're attacking me personally. I, you know, I could probably just hit them in the face, but um, <laughs> verbally or, or physically. Yes, yeah. But if I, if it's affecting a, an athlete, yeah, then, you know, that's when I feel I need help. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, one thing that um, I feel like that I've noticed within our, our group of fighters, wrestlers, just athletes in general, it, it takes a lot for us to smell the roses. Um, mm-hmm. Do you, do you recognize everything that you do for people? 
do you really sit back and like, wow? Uh, I have a little bit on some occasions, but I think um, to be frank, I think my adult children wear the battle scars of me being over um, attentive to others then aware mm. of them at an early age. And the things I was not attentive about was the negativity they were experiencing from people who did not like me coaching. Yes. My son had a, my son and a daughter had the same person in their middle school who made horrible comments like, is she sleeping with mm. a certain athlete, you know, high school athletes? Is she, and I wasn't aware enough. I was going, I mean, I don't I want to make excuses, but you know, wrestling brought out a series of things that happened in my childhood that I had not even, I disassociated from and needed professional help to bring back into focus and to conquer. Yes. And both of my children are extremely forgiving and I think they're admirous of the work because it might not be congruent to the work of other people that they're close to. Yes. So whether it meets all their needs now, they they genuinely understand that. So for a long time, I would understand that there was a lot of success. Like if I look at the numbers, the facts, the number of kids, the number of wins, the number of state championships, fighters, blah, blah, you know, who write, uh, when you damage your own child, oof, you know, that's a big, but you have to get through that too because yes. I can only be who I am now to them. I can't, I can apologize. Yes. I can ask for forgiveness. I can understand that I may not ever get forgiveness for things because mm -hmm. that's really an apology. It's yes. not about me, yes. about them. But now, you know, my children are older. They're 28 and 25 and they're both uh, successful, both individuals, both competent, mm -hmm. both have, you know, really interesting relationships with the fighters. <laughs> Like my daughter was Daniel's only Daniel's only babysitter for his oh, kids. Wow. He and uh, he and his uh, wife were very uh, not open to a lot of people being in their kids' circle, yes. and my daughter was. Yeah. So you know she's she's like don't talk to me about Daniel. I'm yeah. Daniel, <laughs> and uh, and Michael has this incredible relationship with Joanna. <laughs> Because he used to come over to AKA and meet me. He went to Archbishop Mitty. Yeah. He would come meet me after school and after his wrestling practice. He would come there, drive there, get yeah. take a ride there, mm -hmm. and then he would help Joanna. Yeah. So he thinks Javi. Heck, he's Javi will say, "Oh, Michael reached out and asked me something." I'm like, "Great." You yeah. know what I mean? Like they're they they have that, but but I know I, I don't I don't know if I really. Um, so I sort of forced myself, Daniel, in the last couple of years to take a little bit different approach. And so before, I I grew up in the generation, so I'm 59, so I grew up in the generation of women. My mom said to me, my mom competed in the man's, men's world in golf and in uh, semi-pro golfer, but in, in national politics, mm -hmm. in medical associations. And she'd say, if you're going to mess in the what people consider the man's world, which really isn't true but in the man's world you have to roll with the punches you're going to be sexually harassed you're especially if you're attractive mm -hmm. and you're going to be um you know patted on the head type stuff you got to go with it yeah. so for a long time i did that and then once i really got a grip um with the help of professionals on 
what I may or may not have uh, overseen in the parenting of my children, I said no more. Yes. You know, Daniel has a daughter. Josh Thompson, I believe, has a daughter. You know, Daniel has two daughters. I've got a daughter. Like, uh, no more. So about three or four years ago, I wouldn't say I took a feminist approach because I live, people are like, you need to be a feminist. Well, I am a feminist. I mean, that's how I live. What what more do I need to do? Yeah. I never, I never asked for any favors as a girl. I never asked for special rooms. You know, I'd go down to Clovis. The Tirapelli's treated me tremendously, but they weren't like, okay, girl coach, this is the girl coach's place. Yes. I was just treated the same as everybody else. Mm-hmm. You know, you had to get your stuff done and that was it and whatever. But in the last four years, I want to say more than I ever have this. Uh, I am who is behind me, Daniel. I mean, like, who, what other female coach in MMA is behind me? None. Mm-hmm. What other female coach is behind me in wrestling? Are there female coaches in wrestling? Yes. They coach females and some, you know, work with guys, but nobody has the broad range of tangible, historic success yeah. that somebody like Willie Saylor or, or from um, Matt Scouts or somebody could say, yes, this is, this, this is her history. And it's, it's unparalleled. And it's not only unparalleled as a woman, it's unparalleled as a club coach. Yeah. Right. You can, I mean, uh, you can take any club they can have, it could be Daniel's club or it can be somebody else's club, but for longevity and success and the breadth of people that have touched, it's different. Like when you have a club or you work with a group of people and it's contained, but because of either, uh, the physical location, the geography, or just the climate it's one thing when you make yourself and you have more control when you make yourself open to people from all over the world who come into your environment and you orchestrate their child's life or their athlete's life or the fighter's life um it's way harder yes and everybody's like well you know you're you've done your time why don't you get a coach you know get a job in a d1 coaching environment you'd be the first would I love to work with Rob Cole or Mike Gray or Kerry Colott people or Mike Evans who treated me with, the, I can't name all the college coaches have treated me with respect, mm-hmm. but would I love that to be around somebody to bang stuff off of who genuinely values my intellect? Mm-hmm. Yes. But would it meet that, that lingering dynamic? I feel Jimmy Carter and my parents put in me. No. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't, I don't do that, but, but they, society doesn't wrestling community and fight world they don't they don't judge by that do people that i reach up to for for who i i want their respect see that in me yes and i know that's how they feel about me yes so that's a great that's a great thing but is that evident to the rest of the world no does flow wrestling ever discuss me no mm-hmm. does uh, any of the other groups besides willie sailor ever discuss me no to them, I'm, uh, oh, somebody's mom's in the corner, even though, I mean, I can't even list the number of kids that have won every major event. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's mind boggling, but it's this belief that women can't be in this role. Do I really think they go, oh, a woman can't be a coach? No. But I think when their people move so fast and they want to categorize and pigeonhole people and that's just, well, you don't look like a coach or I've never seen that before. I want to say to them, are you going to only go to a doctor who you've seen what they see? You're not going to get a second or third opinion, right? You're not going to, you're not going to um, try to find somebody who knows more, seen more, been Mm -hmm. more. 
Well, that doesn't feel right to me. Uh, good, good. That's probably a good sign. You know? <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's the right person, you know. But isn't that it's it's sad too because it's just like it's it's interesting. It shows that like. I don't associate my time with those people because it just shows right then and there. Oh, you're not open-minded. Correct. You're small-minded, and you'll and usually the small-minded individuals, they stay in the same exact spot for years on end. And then where do you go? Here, 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 here. It's not even hard to get ahead. You know, I want to say to people. I remember Adam Tirapelli, who's the coach from Clovis, who's an NCAA champion who's also a very successful business person in the finance community and a successful father yes a successful son a successful brother but i we were at a tournament and this they he was in one corner and this older gentleman was in another corner and uh adam was disputing a call and this guy was getting mad mm. and he said um i've been coaching 20 years and adam looked at him adam was younger then and um and he goes, and I know more about wrestling. And he goes, no, you don't. <laughs> and Adam just said, no, you don't, and turned around. And because he he didn't, Adam was going to let him. He didn't. He 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 didn't want to be rude and say, thirty years of coaching, twenty years of coaching. If you're doing the same thing, doesn't equate yeah. to to anything else. Do we appreciate your sacrifice, time, money, loss? You know, yes. probably your physical health loss. You know, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, yes. Probably have you probably helped kids who didn't have an opportunity if you weren't available for sure. Yes. But Adam wasn't, in my opinion, observing. Mm. We I never discussed it with him, but observing, was he going to let them say that his his commitment, his time, his willing to change, be diminished by someone else? No. Yes. And his respect for his own athletes. No. Yeah. And I think about you know I think about that often, and how people do the do the same thing and. Now that we've gone through COVID, the uh, I was just having a, a conversation with a coach, a D1 coach at a Ivy League level school, and he was saying how the kids writing the essays to come in don't know, you know, think high school is one word, mm. not high school, yes, right, and arguing with them, and that, and I think now more than ever, people who are open, especially if they were able to have discipline or had already been implemented in kids mm. already had implemented them discipline from their parents or a sport who didn't manage to succeed during COVID academically mm. that they're really going to end up being the leaders of the world yeah. and these others are going to start you know turning in mm -hmm. I mean there's a vast difference in the physical a space in California now than before COVID yeah. I haven't been back since COVID on wow. the East Coast where I live is predominantly people who work in the military or federal employees or defense contractors. There's no trash on the highways. Mm. There's no evidence of economic slowdown. Yes. There's there was during COVID, you know, I mean, like construction work on roads were slowed down, but it's all dissipated. It's all gone away. I mean, literally Chrissy and I were driving down to Gilroy from the airport, San Jose Airport, and I was like, Why is why is there so much trash everywhere? Yeah. Well, and then I'm like, oh, they don't have the, they've had to uh, reappropriate funding because the area is probably not, the tax base is not able yeah. to handle because of the different structure, yes. you know, of the area. And so I think that same vision I see 
in some kids. And then there's a more, you know, they use that word entitlement, but I'm not sure that's the right word. They've been conditioned to voice an opinion uh, before fact-checking what they're saying or even comprehending that there's a they should fact-check. So I think people that have, that are the term you're using, open-minded, who are looking uh, in, inwardly to become more effective outwardly, I think there'll be a big jump and there'll be a bigger gap between what people used to call haves and have-nots. Yes. And that there'll be a bigger gap between people who are not complacent and people, I don't want to say they're the people that are looking who, who are conditioned to be entitled are complacent, but I think they're told that they should be complacent, that government and society, depending on the state you live in mm-hmm. or the environment you're raised in, yeah. are taught that, that it's your, your, you should get whatever, that you should be given what you want. It doesn't have to be fact-based that you're getting it. You should yeah. say your opinion mm-hmm. and your emotion regardless of understanding. I mean, did you do the emotion test? Is it the same emotion you've had for three weeks? Did it pass after you ate properly and took seven breaths and yeah. made up with your boyfriend or girlfriend? Mm-hmm. Did you still feel it? Was it reciprocal? Was it disassociate? People aren't given those skill sets anymore. I think when you have people who grew up in the 40s and 50s and uh, their brothers and fathers were in World War II or in the Korean War and people were gone for a long period of time and the economy was collapsing and people went out and worked to make weapons or worked to make other things. I mean, there are people literally who are like, I'm anti any military, any, but very much want protection Mm. and they want economic protection and they, they, they think they, because they don't want the police, they're not seeking protection, Mm -hmm. but they are. They want to be educated by other people. They want the teachers to do what they want. They want to be able to come in and be protected by being able to sue on semantics. And it's, uh, it's very, very different. And I think wrestling and fighting is the opposite. Yes. Because it just doesn't work. You're going to get pinged. Exactly. And it teaches you that. So like going forward, it kind of taught me that too. Like life just doesn't care about nobody. Just doesn't. It's like, I know something's going to happen. I know it because that's what life is. Right. But the difference is it's like, okay, what am I going to do to adapt to this situation? Like I could look at it and just be like, oh my God, like I'm just going to stay stuck here and just remain comfortable in this position. But it's like, that's not going to get me anywhere. That's stagnant is dying to me. Right. Well, you know, in fighting, so someone asked me the other day, what do you do when a fighter gets knocked hard in the first round? Mm. What's the plan? So I don't know if you remember John Andretti, who used to come over yes. and train with us. Yeah. So John is a severe diabetic, mm. so severe that when he was in growing up as a kid, I would have to wake up every two hours and test his blood sugar. Wow. And uh, he was um, part of Medi-Cal growing up, and he would they would they used Humana at the I mean Kaiser Permanente at the time, and but John was Kaiser contracted with Lucille Packard for John to come every week because his diabetes was so uncontrollable. Wow. So often in a match, if John's blood sugar would be, you know, 110, which would be great, it would jump to 530 in, you know, the beginning of the second period. Jeez. And he would have physical symptoms that I would see, but I would say we had a plan. 
like I would say the plan to him, I'd say, you know, two words and he would go from shooting, you know, incredible shooting to using his upper body strength to slow the situation down, to get his heart rate down, Mm -hmm. you know, to, to, you know, try to win that way. And I said in fighting, you know, when somebody gets popped first time they come to the corner, you have to, your big assessment is not whether to tell them what you think they need you to do, but assess if they could hear you. And if you don't, if they aren't, what was your pre-prepared plan for this situation? Yeah. You as a coach, how many times are you going to ask them a question that they don't answer to you switch to something else? Mm-hmm. Right. And some, you hear people in the corner, I need you to do, do this for me. What? <laughs> They're not doing anything for you. It was not about you. Sorry. Right. Do that for me. <laughs> <laughs> Chrissy reacts. Yeah. Yes. I heard him giggle. (laughs) (laughs) You know, do this for me. And I'm not trying to be whatever, but that's not what's going on. Yes. You have to have had a pre-prepared plan that meets the need of the person, the athlete, of what they're going to do if there's an incident or injury. Yes. In the middle. If it's not a fight callable. Yeah. What are you going to, because, you know, the ref's going to turn to you and ask you. They're going to, they turn to me. Yeah. Do you want to call this? Do you not want to call this? And I have to be able to assess in what, six seconds? Mm. While the mic's on me, I don't know if they could hear me or not. And Javi's talking in Spanish, you know, you know, whatever. (laughs) I mean, I have to figure it out. I mean, there've been times I've been in the corner where the fighter, Javi's telling him something like, you're not winning, you need to do this. And they'll turn to me and go, is that true coach? Yes. Because they know, they know that I'm not about So that pre-prepared thing, I think that's what people need in life. I think I spend a lot of time, I'm sure people go, I wish you wouldn't talk so much to the kids after practice or, you know, I need to get in the car because there's going to be traffic and I need to get my Twinkie on the, on the way home or, (laughs) you know, you know, my in and out burger. That's sort of jokes with Chrissy, but, but, uh, (laughs) but, um, you know, in that they, that's what they're, that's what they're thinking, but I'm explaining to them how you have to have a plan and whether it's a plan for, you know, you twist your ankle or you're down by six or you're gassed. Are you gassed because you're without water? Are you gassed emotionally? It's a time to start breathing. You know, can you get four breaths down and hold for eight? Yes. You know what I'm saying? Like getting this, you know, let's get it recentered. Whatever it is, you need a plan. And teaching the plan is what makes kids not be fearful. So, so what is fear, right? Right. You're fearful. Aaron Gondara used to say fear means go sooner, harder, faster, sooner, harder, faster. That's, that's how you handle fear. And I remember when that person grabbed me in the chest and I punched him at Daniel's fight. Then I started crying and Joe Williamson was there. Used to be Joe Flo at Flo Wrestling and now is at Grow Wrestling. He was, you know, they were laughing. They're like, why are you crying? You just knocked that dude to the face. But, but. (laughs) I really was scared when he grabbed me, Yes, but I went sooner, harder, faster. Mm. You know, I had a, a plan, you know, like I had a plan. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. And then I, you know, and I embrace that in other people. And sometimes, you know, I come across as abrupt, especially if somebody's challenging me. I had a man tell me recently, so New Jersey at a really excellent training facility for athletes, for agility. And he said, you know, you're defensive. I said, I am. Yeah. I am defensive. He, he goes, you come across as defensive. I said, I am. He goes, I understand. And then I had another coach tell me like, he's a, 
he's a really cool kind of meditating kind of dude. And he said, I spent one whole day thinking every situation that happened to me, what would it feel like if I was Carolyn and this person was saying this to me or how would they treat me if I was Carol, if I was the girl coach, Yeah. you know? So, you know, having to have a plan on how to deal with all these things. And I think my next, uh, my uh, big adjustment has been this year is how to, uh, be more open and trying to embrace opportunity when people want me to do things like this and talk about starting something new at 42. Who would have ever known, right? 42, no one. Not a single person at my high school. Yes. You could, all 800 kids in my class, you could have said them. <laughs> what would, if they even knew me, they probably wouldn't have known me, but what's Carolyn Wester going to do? It would not be fight wrestling coach, Yeah, you know, right? By any means. Yeah. And then also embracing, uh, you know, you know, femininity in leadership, right? Femininity, not like bows and stuff, but you know, I wear dresses all the time and stuff and people, you know, they, they don't know what to think. We just went to Wyoming seminary and took a kid to school and they, his roommate was dad. You know, it took him a few minutes to ascertain that I really was who I said I was when he asked me who I was mm -hmm. because I just didn't look the part, yeah. you know, like I had on a dress and sundress and was just, you know, yeah. being myself. Yes. So I think that's probably what's part of next is, you know, I didn't like my, my daughter doesn't like um, me to be in scrutiny. Mm -hmm. She feels like it's that so many people are threatened that it's going to, hurt me and she doesn't want that my son is, will physically and emotionally stand you know put his hand on my back and and push me but um i have i've they both come to conclude and i've concluded that i can't really take that into account moving forward especially with them being 28 and 25 i need to finish what what is my next 20 years yes when Daniel turned 40, he was, I'm 40. I'm like, Daniel, I never even went in a wrestling room until I was 42. You know, so, right. And he's, and if, you know, so I'm always thinking, sometimes I'll text my, some people I trust. I say, what do you see me doing in the next 20 years? What's, what would you think? And they're like, oh, Carolyn, I couldn't even begin. So to me, that says be open and try to develop even more self-aware strategies that when I'm in situations where my, historic, uh, you know, trauma or need wants me to be one way to try to be the other mm. and see what that brings to me. And then counteractively, what more can I bring to others? Yes. You know, beautifully cause said. of it. Yeah. Coach Caroline, I, I really want to be respectful of your time. Mm -hmm. Like truly, uh, my very, very last question to you, uh, out of all the years that you've been alive, what's the greatest lesson you've ever learned? that I am not the center of the universe, that I'm a welcome addition to the worldwide family yeah. if I make myself be that. Yeah, beautiful. Any closing statements for the podcast? Oh, I'm so grateful to be here. I'm so excited about what you're doing, you know, who you were when I met you and who you are now, how much you've evolved, how excited I was, how excited Chrissy was to get up and get our, yeah. you know, our, our tushies <laughs> over here this morning. Yes. And um, thank you. 
No, yeah, thank thrilled. You. Thank you, Coach. And I would really love to have you come on multiple times, please. Oh, because next I, time we're back, we're, we're ready. Yeah, because I, I just have so much more that I need to learn from you, so on and so forth. But thank you for your time, and thank you for all the lessons that you taught me as an athlete and as just an individual as well. Thank you so much, okay? Oh, I'm grateful. Thank you. Yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're out here. Goodbye, y'all. Uh.